Change the Game. Proudly brought to you by the QCCS Mackay Cutters. Hi everyone, welcome to QCCS Mackay Cutters Change the Game podcast podcast. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're meeting on today, the Yui people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Today we're joined by Kim Williams, uh, Mackay Cutters' new head of football. Uh, we're going to talk about junior athlete development. Welcome, Kim. Thanks, Cookie. Good to be here. That was a very uh, exciting uh, intro for me. It was probably too exciting, I think, for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very excited, mate. So, um, I think that was pretty appropriate. Thank yeah. you. No, no worries. Um, so a little bit of background. We've known each other for a little while now. Um, we started working together back um, at the Melbourne Storm NRL um, system down in Melbourne. That was, um, you know, really good, you know, experience intro for me to uh, rugby league and the junior um, pathway down there and you've worked pretty much all over Australia and overseas now with um, with athletes and uh, especially junior athletes you've just uh, come back from England at Huddersfield Giants and yep. academy manager there yeah I've um, had a good life with rugby league <laughs> I've, uh, I owe the game a lot but uh, yeah I started working in the industry back in 1998, I think it was, um, left my hometown of Shell Harbour and uh, headed over to Adelaide. It was um, a year after the, the Super League introduction and the Adelaide Rams were still up and running and yeah, there was a, a pretty rapid growth of the game down in Adelaide during that period. So I hopped on board as a development officer down there, had had three years there, so you know, saw the, the heights of the game there when uh, the Rams were in existence and then, you know, saw the sort of the post-Rams era um, and, uh, you know, ha- helping to develop the game there. I then went to Perth and had seven years as uh, development manager for the West Australian Rugby League uh, before heading to the, the Storm for four years. Um, so, obviously, the inaugural under-18s SG ball coach there, uh, you know, they entered... The, that New South Wales-based competition in 2009. Um, yeah, the club had been in existence for 10 or 11 years by that time. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a really significant point in their their growth as a club to enter a junior team into a, an established competition. I was um, really proud to be part of that. And, um, yeah, in, in a way, I guess... Um, uh, yeah, pioneered a, a bit of their pathway there with that SG ball squad and uh, also school academies that surrounded that squad. We went through an extremely successful era there uh, with the junior reps and um, yeah, the, the Victorian state teams, um, uh, 15s, 18s, schoolboys, first grade men's um, and the, the SG ball for, for the storm. And uh, then up here to Mackay, that was my first um, full-time professional coaching um, appointment and yeah how to win our first year with you on board cookie as our strength and conditioner and had three great years here then three years over with the Capras before moving over to the UK and um, had one year in Wales um, coaching a semi-professional team there and then uh, got the appointment as a Huddersfield Giants Academy coach so um, yeah I've had a lot of experience here you know I've studied uh, as well um, athlete development I've got a master's degree in sports coaching as you have too cooking and uh, and we're both now doing a, that certificate for an elite athlete well-being so um, I think you know experience wise and education wise I've, I've had a really 
well-rounded ex- experience at all levels of the game and um, in all parts of Australia and overseas. So, uh, yeah, been really fortunate to to stay involved and be employed that long. It's a bit of a survivor's game, the rugby league industry. But, uh, you know, for me, the passion is uh, the development of the game and the head of footy role here I'm really excited about. I, I get to oversee pretty well all levels of the game here, all, all levels of the cutters pathway. And, uh, yeah, it's such a rugby league town that I think the, the potential here is enormous and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the task ahead and, um, yeah, hope I can make a difference here. No doubt you will. And, yeah, apologies, I left out in the intro the inaugural Mackay Cutters 2013 Premiership winning coach. Um, it was very silly of me. Um, <laughs> How could you forget that, uh, Cookie? You were part of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great year. And we've got a 10-year anniversary coming next year, so it's going to be exciting as well. Yeah. Um, let's take a few steps back and talk about um, your early days within uh, working rugby league in you know, South Australia, Western Australia, Victoria really non-rugby uh, league states and probably the part you played in helping, um, you know, develop the pathway systems in, in all those areas. Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting when I look back on those times and running school clinics, in particular in, in Adelaide and then Perth, um, you know, such rugby league, uh, such AFL-dominated states. You know, we roll up the schools with rugby league balls and, uh, you know, 90% of the kids in each class didn't know what a rugby league ball looked like and uh, wondered why you had to pass backwards to go forwards when they'd just grown up on AFL and obviously that's a, a game you can pass or kick in any direction. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, from from a guy who grew up in the rugby league heartland area down the, the um, south coast or Illawarra region of New South Wales, it was a, a bit of an eye-opener and... Um, but what it did teach me is that uh, our game at the basic level is a really enjoyable game that most kids can pick up very quickly. So, you know, our program usually involved um, three clinics in any particular class or any particular school um, over three weeks, you know. So you might have a 40-minute class um, and you'd do that three times over three weeks. And, uh, you know, I found we could teach kids how to play rugby league in that short period of time and get them to pass backwards, get them to understand, you know, you've got six opportunities, so it's okay to get caught with the ball. You don't have to just throw it away um, if you're getting tackled like you do in AFL. And there's no penalty against you for that. Um, and, yeah, the real... The, the thing that defines our game for most games is the restart, the, the play the ball. You know, you've got six chances, so you get caught with the ball, you, you play it, and you go again. Um, we take that for granted, just as kids who grew up with rugby league, that uh, people know that and it's just part of the game. But when you're teaching um, you know, people who haven't even seen a game on TV, it's a whole new thing to them. So, um, but that, unlike other games, you know, if, it, if you can catch the ball and run forwards, um, you can play our game and kids can really enjoy it. And we, we use the, the um, tag system um, predominantly in those clinics to take away the, the contact and, you know, that's intimidating for a lot of people, especially when it's your first time playing the game. So um, we had very successful school programs there that um, helped grow the game j- just by getting people familiar with the game. But, you know, in both um, Adelaide and Western Australia, the school programs were, were huge. Yeah, but by the time I left um, Western Australia, our our primary school tag competitions had 240 teams, 
um, you know, 10 or 12 kids in the team. So we had, you know, 2,500, 3,000 kids playing in the primary school system there in some sort of structured competition. They were mainly gala days and uh, leading to a state final, you know. So although the club systems uh, took a lot of time and continue to take a lot of time to develop, um, you can get to the masses via the school system and that's how uh, we tried to grow the game and I think we did a, a pretty good job of that. The, the other big significant move, I, I think, was when the ARL recognised that we needed to grow the game. You know, the, the um, uh, AFL's uh, Auskick program was was uh, just uh, yeah, absolutely um, incredible in terms of numbers they were getting and... Uh, so the ARL introduced a, a development arm of, of the ARL. Back in 2000, it was called the ARL Foundation. So uh, that was based solely on getting the game into schools. And really the development of the game had rested in the hands of ARL clubs or what became NRL clubs. Um, and, you know, some clubs tried to drive development. Others spent all their money on recruiting players. You know, so... The game, um, you know, as we all saw through the, the Super League war in particular, really suffered and the numbers were down everywhere. So there needed to be a new approach to the game. And, um, you know, I, I was involved loosely with that ARL Foundation, just going to their um, conferences early on as a bit of a mentor to to the new development officers. And then a year or so later, I was employed by them. And uh, that's when I went to Western Australia. So... Yeah, the philosophy of growing the game uh, at school level and to the masses, I think, works to a point. But the other thing I found was there was still a, an area of neglect um, with with the club system. And, you know, I still to this day believe that uh, development needs to be a two-pronged thing. And we've got to help grow clubs and help assist clubs because kids want, want to come out if they're recruited from the school system and, and we send them to a local club. Their first experience has to be a really positive one or they're going to walk away. So, you know, if a new kid rolls up with, with his mum to the first day of registration day at a club and it's really poorly organised or, you know, it's just a bad experience, they're going to walk away and go to the soccer club or the AFL club down the road. So um, there's got to be a balance here. We've got to help the clubs continue to develop and uh you know, train the people involved with the clubs. Um, you know, volunteering is such an important thing of Australian culture and sporting culture. So uh, there needs to be a continued focus on helping the volunteers and helping the clubs be as strong as they can and uh, be as, I guess, well-educated as they can and keep providing positive experiences for young players and they'll come back. Now, recruitment isn't necessarily the biggest challenge in junior rugby league, it's retention. Mm. And you look at the turnover of players every year, um, if we can reduce that turnover of players, then the numbers will keep getting better. We get new kids into the game. The problem is losing kids every year. So, um, yeah, and I think that, you know, that that needs to be a continued focus. And a, a big part of that that goes a long way to um, keeping kids around in the game and at clubs is coaching. Oh, and the role of a coach. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, through your experiences of, you know, connecting um, that transition from school to club and then you're, you're also a coach yourself, um, what is the role of the coach and how do we keep kids engaged? In- yeah, well, I think 
we've even got to go sort of a level above that and the governing bodies um, in each area and the state bodies and the national body really need to have a coach-to-coach philosophy and, um, you know, it's the old uh, teach man to fish um, philosophy that uh, if, if we're teaching coaches how to coach each of those coaches then um, influences a team of 10 or 20 players in their squad... Um, so rather than one good coach going out and, and trying to, say, coach a one-off clinic at a club, you know, he gets to see maybe one team on that day. But if we're coaching the coaches, then that positive influence just gets out. It's an ex- exponential influence then. So um, that, uh, I, I think, again, my ex- experience throughout uh, different states in Australia, rugby league do that well. You know, we've had the accredited coaching system for... Uh, longer than almost any other team sport in Australia and having gone to conferences, multi-sport conferences all over Australia um, other sports are very envious of the coaching framework of rugby league in Australia Um, and uh, yeah, it's certainly improved over the years when I first started it was a a level one course, a level two, a level three. The level one course has been broken down, you know, into mini, mini uh, and mod, and then international laws. Um, uh, yeah, the, the framework and, and the way you get accredited has changed over the years. It used to just be a paper test and you got handed your accreditation. Um, yeah, the, now you can do some of it online, but there's an assessment um, compo- uh, component of that. So, um yeah, you, you get judged as competent or not yet competent, and if you're not yet competent, then you need to do some more work before you get accredited. So the old days are gone where you just got handed an accreditation and, you know, the local mum or dad could go down and really have not much of an idea. And, you know, we, we always appreciate the, the, those volunteers that put up their hand, but we've got a better quality control of coaching these days. But... Um, yeah, there's still, you know, improvements can be made, I think, at every level. But uh, rugby league's on the right track, I think, in that respect. Um, yeah, the, the role of the coach, I, I believe uh, you, you can make a really significant change on someone's life if you're a good coach. And, um, you know, at younger age groups, uh, you're getting kids that are really um, easily influenced and you never know what's gone on at home before they come to training. So I think first and foremost, your job as a coach, again, is to give them an enjoyable experience that they'll come back to, that they'll want to come back to. Um, if you're not doing that, then you're failing as a coach in your first um, responsibility. The other thing I, I think, some, you know, coaches of younger sides sometimes, or quite common, uh, don't recognise their responsibility and how much influence they can have on someone in their later years. So, um, and both on and off the field. But if, if we just focus on, say, the skills of rugby league, if a kid's taught something incorrectly and they practice that technique for four or five years and they're not corrected on it, those things become ingrained. And then if you get those kids as a coach later on, it's very hard to break those bad habits. So, Really, you know, if you've got a kid at seven, eight, nine, ten years old, um, you, you in some ways defining uh, how they're going to be as a future player. Um, so, my view on that is again, it's that coach the coach thing. Our junior coaches really need to 
to have uh, extra guidance, extra assistance from you know their mentors or their club or, or their governing body, um, because they're, they're going to make those, they're going to introduce those skills or techniques or habits to young players. We want them to be teaching them correctly. You know, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If it's permanently bad, if it's taught the wrong way, it could be permanently bad. You know, it could be a skill where they can't pass properly, they're taught incorrectly. And you know, when they come to the older age groups, very hard to break that bad habit. So you know, I think we need to spend a lot of time on their junior coaching. And not only uh, skill development, but also holistically, you know, teaching them values, um, yep. sportsmanship. Yeah, I, that's been a really big shift in, in my time in the game where when I first started coaching, there was very little talk about what happens outside of the, the footy field or the training paddock. And, um, you know, come to train and it was just about that 45 minutes or one hour you've got with the kids and then everyone walked away. You didn't really think about anything outside of just teaching them the skills of the game. And Look, at, at a young age, I think, yeah, we don't really need coaches who are just completely focused on, on the holistic um, approach. But what they need to do is just have good values as a person, you know, and if they're, they're on time and they're disciplined, you know, they're, they're composed, they're consistent um, as coaches and, you know, they're honest, um, then that rubs off on the kid. You know, if a kid sees a teacher, uh, a coach roll up and they're continually late, you know, they, there's no compassion, they don't care, they're disorganised. You know, I've seen coaches roll up with a cigarette in their mouth and, um, you know, and swearing when it's eight-year-old kids and nine-year-old kids. And, uh, you know, the, the kids um, take those things on board. So, yeah, I, I think also we've got to draw a line. I think sometimes uh, people forget that parents are and should always be the most influential people in a young person's life. And they're still the ones mostly responsible for the, you know, the character traits and, um, uh, and the, yeah, the, the values that they want instilled in their kids. But as coaches, yeah, we, we are influential. We, we've got kids who want to be there, so you know, you know they're going to be engaged. Um, so you, you do have to realise and be, take that responsibility that you are going to influence these young people's lives um, yeah, and, and some people more than others so uh, yeah it's just got to be a constant reminder to coaches that they are a role model whether they'd like to be or not they, they are that's the nature of being a coach and um, you know the best coaches are the ones who, who really take that on board and are accountable for their actions and yeah coach to their, their values and uh, the kids will follow that yeah what about uh, coaching to win Coaching to participate, uh, coaching to develop. Uh, you know, three different, very different things and all um, different age groups um, have different experiences, especially a coach in that age group. Yep. So if we're talking about you know, an under-12s and under-13s, you know, it's pretty, that's an age group that this discussion is uh, very high on everyone's, um, especially out here at Junior Rugby League on a, on a, on a Saturday yep. um, in Mackay. So... What's where's that balance? Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think in those uh, younger age groups, and so I'm probably referring to before you get to um, junior rep level, which is usually around 15, 16 year old. So, um, you know, when I grew up, we we um, 
played grand finals from under sevens, um, and I remember enjoying that. Um, but uh, what I most remember is just uh, the mateship, and that's why I played. You know, if uh, I had to um, prioritise the reasons I played, that number one was I loved it. Uh, number two was the the mateship, and then third may have been the winning. You know, but um, it's certainly the mateship and uh, the enjoyment and learning. Sorry, was the other one well above um, winning. So um, yeah, and research reflects that as well. So uh, yeah, so the modern administrators of the game are following research to an extent with taking that uh, you know don't play for points, don't play semi-finals, and let's just develop skills and play for the enjoyment of the game. And I, you know, I. I agree with that, and I believe in it. So in those age groups, it's, it's train to train. Okay, you come to training to learn. That should be the focus of developing the skills of the game. Put them on the field. You learn from playing as well. Don't make winning the be-all, end-all at that age group. Um, kids know whether they've won or lost. It's just how... And again, they'll reflect the behaviours of, of parents and coaches. So if the coach or parent makes uh, winning everything... The kids don't win, they'll come off crying because they think they've failed. Mm. Where if we put the focus on how much fun you're having and did you learn something today and uh, did you enjoy playing with your mates, um, then the vast majority of kids are going to come off the field happy and they're going to return to training and then return to play next week. And that's the correct focus, I believe. Mm. When you get in those more competitive age groups and getting to those junior... Um, um, rep age groups it, to me it's still very much train to train you're still in the uh, early stages of elite development or just uh, maybe getting into those elite programs so to me it's still very much about learning the skills of the game and developing your brain and your body is still developing so the focus to me still needs to be on learn how to train develop your skills but there's an element now of training to compete Okay, and I reckon then once you get into that 18 or 21 year age group where you know, you're a young adult and uh, you're somewhere near your peak physically, that, um, then it, it's definitely that train to compete. You know, you, you're in there to win games, you, you're seeing it as a career pathway in some ways and, and certainly people I know at that 18 you know, to 21 age group are, are thinking about I can make a living out of this, so... You know, you want to be as best as you can and you want to win. So that's where that philosophy for me starts to change. And certainly when then you're a semi-professional or professional elite player, it's all about training to win. You know, so, yeah, for me, they're the stages of development we really need to keep in mind. Um, yeah, I've met with our 16s and 18s uh, coaches over the past week since I've arrived and I've talked to them about the philosophy that we need to run by in this club. And certainly at that 16s age group, it's still about training to train. You're teaching them how to train properly, just focus on the core skills of the game and some basic principles of attack and defence. And your job as a coach is to develop those players to reach the next stage of their pathway in under-18s. If you win a couple of games, that's all right. It's only a four-game competition anyway, or three-game um, in that under-16s Cyril Connell Cup. So... Don't focus everything on winning. It's not what it's about. Your KPIs as a coach will be how much positive feedback. So what are KPIs? Oh, sorry. 
<laughs> key performance in the Gators. Thank um, you. Yes. Inside joke there, thanks, Cookie. Um, yeah, so they, as coaches, they'll be judged on how many of their players say it was a really positive experience, number one, yeah. and number two, how many of them reach the next stage of the pathway for under-18s, Mount Meninga Cup. It won't be whether they won three out of three games or lost three out of three games. To me, that's, that's pretty irrelevant. So let's put yourself in the shoes of a, a 16s coach here at the Cutters or a 16s, under 16s coach at, um, in junior league at, at Brothers or Magpies here at Mackay. Um, how do they, as a coach and a club, create an environment for growth within their sessions? Yeah, it, again, it probably links back to what I said. Number one, their sessions need to be enjoyable. And for them to be enjoyable, they've, it, it's got to be a learning environment. So kids enjoy, everyone enjoys learning. If you go through a whole season and you get to the end of the season and you haven't improved as a player, you're probably looking back and going, yeah, what was I there for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and you wouldn't have enjoyed it as much if, if you've improved yourself um, and that the team has improved. It definitely makes things more enjoyable. Um, to create a good learning environment, yeah, it's very much a shift in modern-day coaching um, towards giving the athlete some ownership and some buy-in. Um, so, yeah, we're really trying to get away from the, the coach, you know, being uh, it, it's my way or the highway. And, you know, certainly in my early days, that was my style of coaching. I've learnt to change that over the years. Um, you know, it's a bit of a buzz thing going around at the moment about self-determination theory, okay, which is... Pretty well based on that there's different levels of motivation within a person and the highest level is where it's completely intrinsic. So pretty well when your values as a person line up with the values of the team, the coach and the way you're able to play the game. Okay, So a lot of that to do is to do with a player being able to, uh, not being given all the answers by, by the coach, being able to experiment different things, uh, try different things at training without um, getting told that's the wrong way to do it. Let, let them find out themselves. And um, So as a coach, it's about designing coaching sessions where there's some freedom for um, kids to experiment different things, whether it be a, a different play or different shape in attack or a different you know, position where they start to receive the ball um, and find out what works for them. Every every athlete is a little bit different and what works for someone may not work as well for the next person. So, you know, we, we used to be very rigid in the way everything should be done in any particular sport. There's a correct way to do everything. We've gone away from that and you see some of the greatest athletes in every sport are, are different. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're trailblazers and they do something that no one's seen before and it works well for them and then they may, you know, be one of the best players of that year and then we take that on board, how they've done it and, you know, the, the mindset changes on how a particular skill or a particular play should be done. If we don't give players that creativity, then um, our sport will never advance. We just stay stagnant. So... We've got to embrace those people uh, who are a little bit different, a little bit unorthodox, because sometimes the best players are those style of players and the best new method or coaching technique uh, comes out of something we've never seen before. So, um, 
Yeah, so that, that's sort of the modern day uh, coaching, I, I believe in it as well. And it, it's also related a lot to game sense. Mm-hmm. Let the game be the teacher, yeah. you know, and just uh, uh, rather than teaching dry skills and repetition, getting in the, a, a game scenario as early as possible and kids will work out the answers. And, and that's good coaching. It takes some patience because it doesn't always look perfect. Um, but, you know, sometimes the best... Um, the best solutions come out of chaos, and I, I'd like that style of coaching. Um, Teaching games for understanding. And yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Making mistakes. Yeah, yeah, and embracing that rather than, um, you know, shutting it down immediately as a coach. But it, it looks messy sometimes, so you just got to be able to take that on board as a coach. I think um, the other part of good coaching is having a session that really flows. You know, so there's no... Um, you know, long stoppages for talking or e- explaining things. Um, uh, you know, if you can get a, if you're well organised and your session is set out and well planned, and kids can be in one game or go from drill to drill or game to game pretty quickly. Um, you know, in a 40 minute session, if you've got 35 minutes of action, then you've done really well. If it's 20 minutes of talk or you know, walking between drills or setting up markers, and they only get 20 minutes on the ball, then you've you've failed as a coach. Kids want to be active. That's why they why they want to be involved in sport. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's talking about coaching different uh, athletes, junior athletes, athletes, uh, different backgrounds, cultures. You know, Victoria especially is a big uh, Polynesian uh, community, and, and especially in rugby league in Victoria. Uh, so yeah. Talks a little bit about that and and the experience in England too and Wales. Yeah, the um, I, the thing I learned probably mostly at, at the Storm. So the under eighteen squad, you know, we'd start with around forty kids to start the uh, pre season. In any one year, the least amount of Polynesian boys I had in a squad of forty was thirty five, and that reflected the um, the registrations in the local club system. It was about 90% um, Polynesian, 80 to 90% Polynesian based. So, um, you know, it was a new thing for me to, to have a squad largely full of a different culture. Um, what I found was, uh, you know, the, what I know about Polynesian culture, very um, family oriented, quite religious normally, and, and certainly, you know, it's about a whole community rather than the individual. Um, so uh, that, what I found with them, they're all players in that age group. And the Polynesian boys, it was all about the brotherhood. Brotherhood was the word that came out in setting our values almost as the top one in the four years I was there. Um, so for me, as a coach, it was about making that team a family, making them all um, feel wanted, you know, feel as important as each other, had to understand that to them... Yeah, their, their priority list is, is, you know, family and religion, community is number one. Um, school was a bit lower, you know, and rugby league might have been on that same or above um, school probably mm. most of the time. But if um, there was a family issue or something to do uh, with their extended family, then that was priority. And I needed to understand that um, uh, to get the best out of the players. So... Um, yeah, the other um, part of that was, uh, you know, I think um, with those guys, the again the discipline side. I think 
you know, it was a big step up from Community League in Victoria to go to that Melbourne Storm Under-18 Academy. So it was teaching them how to train and the, the commitment and discipline um, around everything they do, in particular diet. Yeah. Um, as you know, Cookie, you're involved with us on the, the strength and conditioning side. So, um, yeah, educating them on, you know, the most effective um, diet for them and uh, their sleeping patterns and everything that, that went with that. Um, so a lot, lot of that was education side for them. We really had to focus on that um, and embrace that family and community culture. And not only the, the players but the parents. Yes, yeah, definitely. Because yeah, we're, we're talking about 16, 17, 18-year-old kids who are living at home and quite often in extended families at home. And, um, yeah, you know, they weren't doing the cooking. They were relying on mum or dad or, or their auntie or whoever was um, cooking at their house. So, um, yeah, and, yeah, needed to be changed there. So, but, as you know, we used to bring the parents in at the beginning of the year for our nutrition um, education sessions because uh, they were the ones doing the cooking and... The um, you know what their traditional meals are um, weren't necessarily most conducive to getting peak performance. So yeah, about education for sure. Um, in England and Wales, um, yeah, a little bit different again. Um, but Wales was a real battle for me because uh, yeah, rugby league again is nowhere near a, a um, dominant sport. Their rugby union is uh, absolutely massive in Wales in particular, and uh, so yeah, we didn't get necessarily the, the, the top level athletes there um, I just found a real lack of commitment um, around uh, our programs there the, the the most enjoyable program I ran there was in a, a rugby league college where the kids were there for rugby league so they were committed um, you know we were training at seven o'clock in the morning which is quite challenging having come from um, northern Queensland to Wales on a cold um, winter morning at seven o'clock you know the ground was quite often frozen so it was quite challenging but those kids were great in that they were dedicated um uh and the the thing over there you know wales is a real working class um country and where uh, i was based definitely a working class area so the kids were great they were tough you know and they were resilient um and uh you know they had some of the key character ingredients to be good rugby league players uh, so I quite enjoyed that um, same in Huddersfield you know real working class area definitely the heartland of rugby league well it's the home of rugby league Huddersfield and uh, I enjoyed my time there really dedicated kids there in my academy program some outstanding talent so um, that was uh, very enjoyable but tough kids there I, I liked them you know they were uh, very committed and um, yeah, I coached them through the COVID period and shut down, locked down for, you know, 12 months there. And, uh, yeah, probably some of the, the most resili- resilient uh, young kids I've ever worked with. I enjoyed it. Yeah, right. What about the, um, the difference in variety of parents and guardians, you know, through you know, everywhere you've been, you know, Mackay included, you know, Rockhampton, uh, England? What's been the difference in um, their support, expectations uh yeah it's an interesting but probably not a lot i think overall what i've um what i've experienced in those age groups sort of coaching say 16 to 20 year old kids is um for the vast majority extremely um supportive parents uh 
Yeah, again, the biggest issue I find sometimes is just parents probably getting ahead of themselves as to where their kids are along the pathway. Mm. And there just needs to be um, a, a level of patience from everyone involved. And player agents, to me, are probably uh, sometimes the biggest problem there. Yeah, because player agents mostly work on a commission, um, you know, they get a percentage of, of a contract of their client, and then obviously their lifeblood is earning money, as we all are uh, when we're employed. So they're not getting money until their client has a, has a contract or at least a reasonable size contract. So I find agents are probably pushing kids too early. And NRL clubs can sign kids at 15 years old. Yeah, well, it used to be worse. Mm. You know, to, so over the last five or ten years, with some um, stricter guidelines have come in place with agents and, and with clubs. Um, yeah, but I was involved in schoolboys national carnivals for about fifteen years, from about nineteen ninety-eight to two thousand twelve, two thousand and thirteen, and. Um, it was just chaos here. You know, you'd see player agents at um, at uh, primary school carnivals you know, trying to sign twelve-year-old kids, and certainly at the under 15s um, school boys, it was just rampant. You know, and uh, I don't believe in that. And yeah, you know, because it's their lifeblood for the agents, they're trying to push the kids um, through the pathway system into professional contracts as fast as they can. And you know, parents get stars in their eyes, and and Kids get stars in their eyes as soon as an NRL club is mentioned. And, you know, I believe we've got a pathway in Australia that works really well at the moment. And, um, you know, when they disbanded the national under-20s and brought it back to state level, I thought that was a great move because it meant more opportunities, more under-20s, so it's now 21s. But, you know, where there were 16 clubs, um, NRL clubs with under-20s, there's now... Uh, you know, 30 odd between New South Wales and Queensland playing at state level, and so kids don't have to uh, leave home to go to get an opportunity to stay in the pathway at 20 or 21 years of age. So, I thought that was a good thing, but I think where the the NRL and the, the governing body, the ARL Commission, failed was not distributing the funding to reflect that. So. The reason they disbanded, one of the reasons they disbanded the the NYC, the National Under-20s competition was, well, there were two reasons quoted most of the time. One was mental health issues. Yeah, and we experienced it here, unfortunately, in Mackay with a couple of young players who at around that 20, 21-year-old age group uh, committed suicide. And there was uh, far too much of that happening in that age group. And, you yeah, know, it was identified that the pressures of being at an NRL club and away from your parents from, you know, 16, 17, 18, then uh, into that under-20s competition were just too much. You needed that support network around you. Um, so take it back to state league. Kids have a better opportunity to stay at home. They, you know, there's going to be a club somewhere close to them where mm -hmm. they can play under-20s and, and be in the pathway. Um, okay, so that was uh, one thing. The other thing was they recognised that that under-20s competition wasn't really the final step of the pathway into NRL because most clubs, if the players were going well at under-20s, they'd then put them into their New South Wales Cup or Queensland Cup feeder team or reserve grade NRL reserve grade team, see how they went against men, and then they'd put them in the first grade. 
Okay, so, so they brought it back to state league. So the pathway is now in Queensland, Cyril Connell Cup, Mauminger 18s, under 21 Colts, India Queensland Cup or ISC team, then into NRL. And I believe that's the right pathway. Um, but I don't believe that the state clubs get enough funding to reflect that. The thing that amazes me is the mental health issue was quoted as one of the mm. main reasons to disband that under-20s. Now, NRL clubs get massive funding where they could employ welfare officers and, yeah, an NRL club might have 100 employees. Well, they get $250,000 in funding. Yeah. We, and an IC club, as an example, gets 45000 Yeah, and we might have a, a staff at a big club of um, five or six, maybe seven or eight. You know, when I first started at the Cutters back in end of 2012, we had three full-time staff. Mm. And then... And one team. Yeah, and one team. But then we got the under-20s. Um, now we've got the, five teams. Yeah, and the funding hasn't come back to this level. So what it, to me, it's the NRL have dumped the mental health issues and the whole reason they stopped the under-20s national competition, dumped those problems on the state league clubs, but we're not going to fund them to actually fix the identified problem. Mm. It's just madness to me. It's poor administration. Um, and, yeah, look, I don't know for any, any better situation in terms of those problems within the game. But Well, I don't uh, think we are because we're still having kids, especially from a car, getting taken uh, at the under-16s level and yep. getting shipped down outside of yeah. their network and pathway to yep. NRL clubs and put in other yep. pathways. Um, yep. And sometimes they're succeeding, but... Sometimes they're not either. Yeah. They end up, at some point of that pathway, playing state league. So why weren't they allowed to say Mackay and just go through the pathway to do that? It's not just Mackay. It's every yeah. regional centre where where that happens. I thought that was the whole idea of bringing the 20s or the Colts back to state league level. So we've got every step of that pathway locally. You don't have to uproot kids from their family network and their support system in school until they're 20 or 21. Just leave them where they are. Mm. It, it just, yeah. So again, it's the NRL clubs dictating this. Yeah. And because uh, that's where the money is. Yeah, it's yeah. It's the so, pinnacle. Yeah, although the steps of the pathway are set up, the funding doesn't reflect it, and so uh, the NRL clubs are still dominating um, and making their own decisions that a lot of the time, to me, aren't player-centric. They're not doing what's best for the welfare of the player. And for me, that's always been... An absolute priority as a coach, as a person. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I've written letters in the past to um, influential people about those. Have been very vocal when I've had the opportunity about um, how the game should be funded, and um, I still don't believe we've got it right. You know, there's so much money in the game, and they continually increase the salary cap for the NRL clubs. And we've got players on a million dollars now. You know, 10 years ago, that was unheard of. Yet everything under the NRL is still battling for every dollar. It makes no sense to me at all. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that does link into probably what we're going to talk about next is the balance between school sport, local clubs, uh, the role that we play as a cutter's pathway uh, programs. You know, what's our responsibility is... Uh, um, Mackay Cutters junior rep teams to link in with the schools and the local clubs? Yeah, to me, it it's, needs to be always about the player. So I 
remember years ago now, they, they, when they started to recognise this, they did some research on it, and it was actually a player um, who was a gun at 15, um, ended up playing for this club for a year when I was here, um, Ben Jones. Had, uh, ben was a young Queenslander who carved up the national schoolboys at, at under 15s, was signed by the Roosters. Um, and they just, it wasn't an in-depth study on him, but that, what they recognised, him as a, uh, an example. Remembering that year as an under-15 schoolboy, um, or it might have been when he advanced in the open schoolboys, maybe what, Australian what schoolboys. 2010, roughly? Yeah, it was, it was somewhere around there, yeah. Um, that they, he played over 50 games that year. Came one season, so yeah. he had um, his local club, then his schoolboys team. He made you know the regional schoolboys rep, then state schoolboys rep, Australian schoolboys. He was signed to the Roosters, so he played junior reps for the Roosters. Um, and across that season, he played in excess of fifty games, and the vast majority of those at a very high level. Yeah. Only a handful was actually at his local club or local school level. Um, for a 15-year-old kid, um, far too much. You know? But what was happening, and this is um, pretty typical of, say, a kid in Sydney, he, even to this day, a kid in Sydney could be on a, a school-based scholarship at a Westfield Sports High or something like that. So, um, so the school is paying for his, um, uh, for his schooling via a, a scholarship. Uh, he'll be uh, with a NRL club playing junior rep, so he might be on a small contract at 18, maybe 18 years old or 17 for that. Um, so they both want their pound of flesh. They're saying, well, we're paying you, so we should be your priority. Uh, he's got his local club who may have developed him or helped him develop from a seven-year-old, and so they're thinking, well, your loyalty should be to us. We, we're your club. Um and then, yeah, he's, he's rep stuff on, on top of all that. So he's got everyone telling him, you should be loyal to us. We pay your way or we've helped develop you. So in any one week, he could be training every day of the week. He could be doing weights three or four times a week. And everyone's telling him, you have to do it our way because we are your priority. There's probably one more that's also crept into uh, junior kids' development is external providers that are yeah. private external providers, especially yes. SNC yeah. coaches yep. that are... Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, so, yeah, everyone's wanting their pound of flesh and what they forget is what's best for the kid. So one of the best systems I've been involved with is in Melbourne and had the luxury there, as I said earlier, being um, there as the inaugural coach of the SG ball team. So what we were able to do was link with uh, our... Rugby League Academy School, which was Hallam College. It was only in its infancy then. So I was able to go down there and get heavily involved there. And we had some really good teachers who had the right philosophy about um, putting the kids. Yeah, and Travis Travis McIntosh. um, uh, And then I I set up a second academy school at Vic Uni Secondary College. Again, we had two or three fantastic teachers there with the right philosophy. Because I was heavily involved in both of those, we were just able to communicate and set up the program so the kids were the focus. We had probably 80 or 90% of our SG ball kids between those two colleges um, or secondary schools they were. 
Um, so we were able to have it that the kids, if they were doing weights at the storm, they wouldn't, wouldn't do a gym session at the school. In fact, what we did was made them mentors to the other kids in the school programs who weren't with the storm. So there might be a gym session where you know, they had 30 kids, 20 of them might have been storm under 18s kids. Well, they helped the other 10 kids in the gym without doing weights themselves because they'd done weights the afternoon before or were doing that, that afternoon with the storm. We aligned the programs. You know, their strength and conditioning programs were based on what we were doing at the storm. Um, and the, the same with any conditioning sessions, you know, we just made sure that there was no duplication and the kids weren't being overtrained. Mm-hmm. And that is always a big issue when everyone wants their pound of flesh and everyone thinks their program is more important than the next program. Um, so I think we were able to do it really well there. Um, from what I've learnt in the week I've been here, we're getting pretty close to that here now, and it seems the major rugby league schools here in Mackay are not clashing with the 16s and 18s uh, programs here at the Cutters, and it looks like people are starting to work together. Yeah. Um, some have you know, been really frustrated over the years with... Uh, schoolboys programs where they honestly think it's NRL grand finals and that's the most important thing that these kids will ever be involved in. Mm. Yeah, the kids love playing for their school, they're very loyal to their schools, but let's just get perspective of where everything lays in the big scheme of things. And, and you know, it's not just school, te- it's the clubs as well that, uh, yeah, just lose perspective I think at times these kids are 16 and 17 they're only just beginning their journey so let's uh, give them longevity in the game by putting their welfare first yeah so good relationships and communication between all parties is the key and definitely we are uh, in a good spot here in Mackay at the moment with you know the relationships with schools and and local clubs so that'll continue to grow and develop uh, one of the last points we'll talk about is the little things lead to the big things. Um, you know, it's a saying that you know gets stuck up on walls and you know gets mentioned uh, lots. What does it mean as a, as a coach and for a junior uh, developing athlete? Yeah, there's probably on a, a few levels that I think if we're just talking skill and development wise, that the foundations of the game at every level, whether it's NRL or under 17s, are the very basic skills. You know, if you can't catch pass tackle. Um, then you're not going to advance far in the game. Um, so um, they just they need to be taught correctly from the start, which I mentioned earlier. But there needs to always be, through every level of the game, a focus on the fundamental skills and principles of the game. Okay, so from those little things, um, you know, the, the growth of the game and growth of every individual and every team is based on doing those fundamentals correctly and repetition of that. Um, in terms of, of culture, I, I think and values, the same thing. You know, I think the basis of any growth in any person is learning how to be honest and having integrity and working hard mm-hmm. um, and being respectful. And I think they should be the foundations of uh, every player, uh, well, every person in general. But uh, again, if you're that sort of coach, then um, I, I, I truly believe that you know a well-rounded person is. Uh, more, uh, what's the word? It has more of an opportunity to reach their potential on and off the field. 
I'd say. I think uh, you know the values of hard work and honesty. If, you, if they're reflected in your training, if you work hard in training, and you're honest to yourself more than anything, and you know you you um, are accountable for your actions, then you, you're going to develop more quickly. Um, you know you're going to correct your your own errors and your own mistakes and become a better player while you're becoming a better person. I hundred percent believe in that. Um, yeah, and you know everything starts from that that first step, whether it be the growth of a club, the establishment of a of a new team or a new club, or if you're just starting out on your journey as a player. And you know, not everyone wants to be an NRL player or in any sport. Not everyone has an ambition to be a professional athlete. Vast majority of players play sport for the enjoyment of it, mm. but there's, you've got to take that first step and just dip your toe in, and you don't know if you enjoy something unless you go out and try it. And um, um, yeah, so that ties in with that thing as well. Little things, just get out there, have a go. Yeah. The first step is the most important one. I think we've got uh, part of that is uh, local trials here for our junior 16s and 18s uh, squads coming up in a couple of weeks yep. um, over here at the back in the junior field. So, you know, that hasn't happened here at Mackay for a little while. So it's good that we're opening um, the door and seeing what mm. talent is out there and getting a lot of good people involved. To, um, I think we've got some good coaches involved in all groups at the moment and yeah. we definitely have an open door policy here at the club with you in your role as head of football and any local coaches that are watching this and tuning in, um, yeah, but reach out and get in contact. And Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, certainly on that coaching side of things, you know, I've always been very open in terms of sharing knowledge and, uh, you know, open to coaches coming down watching um, uh, any training sessions and uh, that's the way you learn. Mentoring, to me, is the best way to learn and, uh, you know, it's certainly setting up that sort of system within our club here and without it, uh, through our whole pathway. I think uh, uh, it's really, well, the most effective way to, to learn and to teach. Um, so we're definitely on track there. Uh, yeah, the response to those trials have been phenomenal, mate. We're just short of 100 players for each of the 16s and 18s age groups for those trials. So yeah, you know, we obviously end up with a very talented um, squad in each of those age groups. But just, I'd almost forgotten how, you know, how much of a rugby league town Mackay is. It's good to be back in, the, in amongst it. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to those trials. Yeah, well, it's great to have you back. Kimbo, um, thanks for the chat on junior athlete development. Um, great experiences and, yeah, appreciate you sharing them. Yeah, thanks, mate. We've been living the dream for a while now and, uh, yeah, certainly looking forward to continuing that here in Mackay over, well, who knows how long I'll be here, mate. I'm here for a good time and a long time, Cookie. That's good. Well, we'll enjoy it. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Change the game. Proudly brought to you by the QCCS Mackay Cutters.